You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Deep Blue Sea, which came out in 1999 and was directed by Rennie Harlan. It stars Thomas Jane, Samuel L. Jackson, Saffron Burroughs, LL Cool J, Michael Rappaport, Jacqueline McKenzie, Ada Turturro, and Stellan Skarsgård. The genre would be shark thriller. Tell me, Mr. Franklin, have you ever known anyone with Alzheimer's? No. What if you could end all that suffering with a single pill? Give me till Monday morning, 48 hours. I'll give you results that'll skyrocket your stock price. The most advanced research facility in the world. Wow. Beneath its glassy surface, a world of gliding monsters. A team of specialists is working against the clock on an experiment to benefit mankind. Sharks never show any loss of brain activity as they age. We're this close to the reactivation of human brain cell. But before they can save millions of lives... Tell me I didn't see that. They recognize that gun. It's impossible. Sharks do not swim backwards. They can't. They'll have to find a way to save their own. Just what the hell did you do to those sharks? Did you feel something? Jim and I use gene therapies to increase their brain mass. What is that? As a side effect, the sharks got smarter. Could Rennie Harlan have been one of the most underrated genre directors of the 90s? Because with this, the underrated Die Hard 2, and previous episodes Cliffhanger and The Long Kiss Goodnight, I think you could make a pretty solid case. While I think some of the wonky shark CGI isn't helping matters, he directs this kind of thriller with efficiency. His set pieces never drag, they always move the story forward, and there are some gnarly shark kills in this deal. It's pretty much the hard R-rated Jaws sequel that we never knew we wanted. And what you've done is taken God's oldest killing machine and given it will and desire. What you've done is knock us all the way to the bottom of the goddamn food chain. Nobody is safe, and while it does look silly at several points to see one of three genetically big-brained killer sharks effectively pause, stare, wind up, and just lunge forward for the kill, it never ceases to be entertaining. Everyone in the cast pretty much does what they are hired to do. Stellan Skarsgård plays a smug, rumpled scientist with the accent, of course, you need one. I'll be there. No, sir. For 6.560 seconds, you saw what it's like not to be down. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson plays the seemingly buttoned-down tycoon who then loudly becomes the alpha male. Thomas Jane plays the quiet ex-con with perfectly coiffed hair. Saffron Burroughs plays the beautiful, mysterious scientist who initially seems sympathetic, though is harboring dark secrets. Their brains weren't large enough to harvest sufficient amounts of the protein complex. So we violated the Harvard Compact. L.O. Cool J plays the brash everyman working stiff with a strange side gig. I mean, this is literally the same role that he played in Halloween H2O the year before. Seriously. Who gets separated from everyone else and has to survive on his wits. And Michael Rappaport plays Michael Rappaport. Did someone order the fish? Despite the predictably tropey nature of each character, the story does take some unexpected turns. As we are treated to no shortage of inventive water action, 
some absurd explosions, a novel explanation of the theory of relativity, shark wrangling, and even a profane parrot. If you got it, you can You know what, Bert? You were trying my last nerve. Don't make me drown, your feathery ass. And speaking of LL, his on-site chef slash former preacher, who's even actually named Preacher, he breaks the fourth wall at one point. And while I don't think that every absurd thing that his character is given to say or do really works, at least he's going for it as only LL can. Plus, we do get the bonus of Preacher's theory of relativity, which makes it all worthwhile in the end. Relativity. What do you mean? Einstein's theory of relativity. Grab hold of a hot pan, a second can seem like an hour. Put your hands on a hot woman, an hour can seem like a second. It's all relative. I spent four years at Caltech, and that's the best physics explanation I've ever heard. <laughs> Which brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. As this movie concludes, we are treated to the cheesy self-referential needle drop to end all cheesy self-referential needle drops. That's right, we get a high-energy hip-hop song about sharks. From one of the stars of the movie, no less. Boom. And that star would be none other than Hollis Queen's own James Todd. Yes, LL Cool J, who had built up a memorable career as a hip-hop artist before eventually becoming more known as an actor on screen and TV. So cut to the very end of this story, with Jane and Cool J's characters just kind of laying back on one floating platform after finally defeating the last shark. They're bloodied and they're exhausted. Cool J dishes out one more quip, they fist pump, and then the violins kick in for the opening hook of the song. comes the next shift let me tell you man i quit this job oh take me back to the ghetto amen strings in a hip-hop song you ask you bet. This track has it all, as LL just brings with him the whole kitchen sink, alongside several ridiculous verses all related to sharks. There are backup singers, cat sounds, and orchestra. The works. Yes, in case you could not tell, I love this song, as does my six-year-old son who goes nuts whenever I play it. Hey, at the very least, it's much catchier than any number of versions of Baby Shark. Trust me. Definitely one of the most underrated needle drops of the 90s. Could I hype it up any more? The song is called Deepest Bluest, parentheses, Shark's Fin. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. 
During one early expositional scene, we cut to a serious discussion between Burroughs' lead scientist and Jackson's corporate president over the implications of this potentially new groundbreaking medical technology, which he has discovered from the oversized brains of genetically enhanced sharks. They're in a corporate office hashing out the details of the latest plan, only they're not alone. There's a third figure sitting in this office right alongside them, and he's played by the legendary Ronnie Cox. Yes, the stalwart character actor who has been delivering strong performances for decades, often playing authority figures. I'm talking about Vision Quest, Beverly Hills Cop, Deliverance, Total Recall, and of course previous episode RoboCop as the villainous OCP executive Dick Jones. He's awesome in that. Cox is apparently playing a high-level executive who is aligned with Jackson's exec at this biopharmaceutical company. His presence is certainly felt here, only his character is given zero dialogue. Huh? Yeah, it's quite strange as we don't hear anything from his character during this scene, nor do we see him again for the remainder of this movie, nor is he even acknowledged. Just a bizarre choice to give a well-known actor such as Cox a prominent early appearance with nothing to do. I'm gathering that he had more lines left on the cutting room floor, but then why bother to include him in the first place? The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Of course, there can only be one, right? Yes, I'm talking about the moment which probably put this movie on the map and which has cemented its legacy more than 20 years after it was first released. We're about an hour into the movie. There are just a few remaining folks from our team still alive, trapped several levels below the surface at Aquatica. All hope seems lost, and no one is sure about what to do. And up until this point, we have heard rumblings about Samuel L. Jackson's industrialist named Russell Franklin, how he had this amazing survival story from the Alps, which no one knows the real details about. While Russell, who is standing right in front of a pool connected to the water, takes it upon himself at this point to rally the troops. You bring the whole facility down. We're better off taking our chances with the sharks. Hey, you want to go swim with your little fishes, miss? You go right ahead. Me? I'm opening this door and I'm climbing out of here. The hell you are. Hey, I don't work for you anymore, okay? I don't have to take Enough. orders. That's enough now from all of you. You think water's fast? You should see ice. It moves like it has a mind. Like it knows it killed the world once. It got a taste for murder. When the avalanche came, it took us a week to climb out. And somewhere, we lost hope. By delivering a monologue to our remaining survivors about what actually happened to him on that trip. It's a stirring monologue. It's also a silly monologue. And, well, let's just say that it gets dramatically cut short. Now, I don't know exactly when we turned on each other. I just know that seven of us survived the slide and only five made it out. Now we took an oath that I'm breaking now. Swore that we said it was the snow that killed the other two. But it wasn't. Nature can be lethal. But it doesn't hold a candle. Now you've seen how bad things can get and how quick they can get that way. Well, they can get a whole lot worse. So we're not going to fight anymore. We're going to pull together and we're gonna find a way to get out of here. First, we're gonna seal off this Yeah, if we're being honest, the visual effects of both that shark coming out of the water 
and then tearing Russell apart underwater with the help of another shark, well, they're not particularly convincing. They didn't even seem that way in 99, honestly. But it's still a fun, memorable scene, which actually catches you off guard. Definitely among the better horror movie shock kills that you're ever going to see. And it seems like this one, which are the reason that you hire someone like Samuel L. Jackson. This brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. This movie is not particularly artful, but it's taut and it moves. It tops out at a lean 100 minutes, even telling a full story with several different characters and a couple of notable subplots. When things explode, they explode. And when people get eaten, they are devoured. And that is signature Harlan, who directs this movie with all the passion of someone who's trying to create the next Jaws, yet knows that he's not remotely in the same league as Spielberg. Sorry, he's not. And I think he knows that. Props to the Mad Finn for kicking off the decade with John Amos getting sucked into a jet engine. That was in Die Hard 2 in 1990. And ending it with Stellan Skarsgård's arm getting bitten off by a shark. Yeah, he wasn't one for subtlety, but during the 1990s, he was one of our most reliable purveyors of on-screen mayhem. Rennie Harlan is, of course, the MVP. It was very early in the schedule. It was a good lesson for all of us. We had this mechanical shark, which... which has, and we were getting ready to shoot a scene where the actress was close to the shark, getting attacked by the shark, and all of a sudden something went wrong with the computer program, and the shark leaped out of the water and went through the ceiling of the set, which was made out of two, two by four planks, and they were like toothpicks. And it made everybody realize that we really have to be careful with this thing because it, it can crush. It's like a truck. It can crush anybody if something, if something goes wrong. And uh, Was anyone injured in no, that? No, nobody was clo- close enough to it, but it, it was very scary. And that was a moment when I said, oh, my God, how am I ever going to do all the scenes where it has to be this close to the actors? And the shark then was ruined or what? No, the ceiling was ruined. The shark was fine. <laughs> my rating for Deep Blue Sea would be three and a half stars out of five. Hey, it's summer, it's disgustingly hot outside, and the local beaches and pools are overcrowded. What better way to beat the heat during Shark Week than to kick back at home with this gem? Well, besides the original Jaws, of course. You can watch that one first. I would recommend that. But of course, if you are looking to watch Deep Blue Sea, it is currently streaming on Max, DirecTV, TNT, and TBS. And that ends another Deepest Bluest review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. It's so warm, your life vest is off, and that turns me on. Killer for centuries, the guy of the deep. In the next millennium, I'm still gonna creep. Sand under my belly, ocean over my head, through the light and the shadows. You will come to live the dead. Deepest blue is my hat is like a shark's fin. Deepest blue is my hat is like a shark's fin. Deepest blue is my hat is like a shark's fin. Deepest blue is my hat is like a shark's